0: Now today I'm going to talk on Romans chapter 5. This chapter tells us how to experience peace. The world is searching for peace. The Middle East is searching for peace. The human heart is searching for peace. There's only one way a person can get peace. And that is by being justified. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about, this chapter talks about how to receive eternal life. Through the death of the second Adam. And we're going to answer a fundamental question. Are human beings born in a state of innocency? If left to ourselves, will we naturally do what is right? Uh, How should we train our children? What responsibilities do we have? I had a family come to me, at least the father of a family who once came to this church. He said to me, uh, when I grew up, my parents were too hard on me. Therefore, I'm not going to bring my children to church Uh, I'm not going to teach them religion, I'm just going to let them grow up and when they grow up they can make their own decision. You can be sure of one thing, they're going to make the wrong decision because the father is going to be guilty of the blood of those children. And we're going to discover today the truth about original sin and what the sin of Adam did to the human race and why we need to bring our children up in the love and the admonition of the Lord. Would you please turn to Romans chapter 5. And verse 1. And today we're going to have a good time, even though we've been having problems with the lights in the church. Thank God we have the light of God's Word. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Without God, my friend, there is no peace. The Bible says, seeing we have been justified through faith, not by faith, through faith. It is the instrument. We have peace. The Greek says, let us continue to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was back in Australia uh, years ago, I ran an evangelistic campaign in a tiny little town in north New South Wales in the northern rivers. A little town by the name of Mullumbimby. It had 1500 people. Not really a big city, we had about 500 people come to the meetings, so that wasn't too bad. 33% of the town attended the meetings. One day I was out driving along some of those little country roads outside Mullumbimby. I had a friend with me in the car, a pastor friend, and there was a girl walking down the road, and she was obviously a hippie girl. We stopped to give her a lift, and I said to her, can we take you somewhere? She said, yes. I'm going up in the hills to live with the rest of the hippies because I've come from West Australia, which is two and a half thousand miles away. Two and a half thousand miles. She said, I've come two and a half thousand miles to Mullumbimby because I'm looking for peace. I said to her, unless you can find peace in your own home, you're not going to find it here. Peace is not an outward condition. Peace is a condition of the heart. And the Bible says, seeing we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Romans 5 and verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. When the Greek language, and the Bible here of course is written in Greek, the ancient language of Greek. uh, When it says we have received access... It is like a person who goes into the audience chamber of a king. The Bible says that because of Christ, we are no longer second-hand, second-class citizens. The Bible says that we have access with the Father through faith because of grace. Every child of God, my friend, has the privilege of going into the Holy of Holies and standing in the very presence of God through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, because of these things, we ought to rejoice and we ought to be glad. Let me read you the text. It says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Read on. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The Bible says, my friend, we can rejoice and we can be glad because we have peace with God. And we can go into the Holy Holies, the Holy of Holies, and we can have access with the Father. And the Bible says, because of these wonderful truths, the Bible says, a Christian is always in a state of rejoicing. I want to read you a book. Uh, section from a book, a little section called Laugh Again, Experience Outrageous Joy by Charles R. Swindoll he's a pastor in Southern California who rides a Harley Davidson motorbike, tells you something about him. Mm. now he says here, listen to this it's a great book, I recommend it, get it I get weary of believers who live their entire lives with such long faces and nothing but woe is me, words pouring from their mouths. I realize that life isn't one continual blooming rose garden, mine certainly isn't, but surely it is more than Lamentations Lane. I look at some who claim to be happy within and I wonder if maybe they were baptized in freshly squeezed lemon juice. Have you met people who go to church and they look like they've been baptized in freshly squeezed lemon juice? And the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. Why can a Christian rejoice? Because he's saved and going to heaven. That's why. Listen. When did we buy into that nonsense? Each time I look up and see Dr. Dryer's dust and his wife grimly making their way toward me. I find myself wanting to run and hide, or better, be raptured out. And it's true. We've got them everywhere. Then he quotes the great scholar, preacher, theologian of another year, G. Campbell Morgan. He said this, I have no sympathy with people who tell us today that these are the darkest days the world has ever seen. The days in which we live are appalling, but they do not compare with the conditions in the world when Jesus came into it. Historians talk of the Pax Romana and make much of the fact that there was peace everywhere, the Roman peace. Do not forget that the Roman peace was the result of the fact that the world had been bludgeoned brutally into submission to one central power. Notwithstanding the prevailing conditions, the dominant note of these letters, revealing the experience of the church, is a note of triumph. The dire and dread facts and conditions are never lost sight of, indeed, They are there all the way through. The people are seen going out and facing these facts and suffering because of these facts. But we never see them depressed and cast down. We never see them suffering from pessimistic fever. They are always triumphant. That is the glory of Christianity. If ever I am tempted to think that religion is almost dead today, it is when I listen to the wailing of some Christian people. Everything is wrong. Everything is going wrong. Oh, be quiet. Think again, look again, not judge, judge not by the circumstances of the passing hour, but by the infinite things of our gospel and our God. That is exactly what these people did. The Bible says seeing we are justified by faith, we have peace with God and we can rejoice when everything is going wrong because our God is always going right and our God is alive now look at verse 6 and onwards please what a great and marvelous chapter this is I tell you you see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly and let, let me talk about that text for a moment. It says, at just the right time. You know when the right time was? Back there? When things were the worst. One author says that demons had invaded human bodies and the world was in a state of shocking depravity. But when the night was the blackest, then Jesus came at just the right time. That's when Jesus comes when things may appear to be the worst in your life, and when things seem the worst in our television ministry, and in our work in Russia, when people who ought to be supporting the work of God are the enemies of God, at just the right time, Jesus comes with healing in his wings. You see? At just the right time. Read on. I'm glad that Jesus came at just the right time. When we were still powerless. No power. When we were weak Christ died for the ungodly. My friend, if a person says, I'm not in the class of the ungodly, he automatically excludes himself from salvation. Because the Bible says that Jesus died for the ungodly, and that includes every lost soul in the world. Very rarely, verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. There are two individuals discussed here, and the Greek has some interesting uh, expressions with these words. The Bible talks about a righteous man. He's a person in the Scriptures who is basically a legalistic person. He lives by the law, and he does everything that the law says, and the Bible says you might die, possibly, very rarely. One would die for such a person but perhaps one would die for a good man and the good man is a loving benevolent person and so we may die for a good person you may die for a person who is kind to you and who is benevolent to you and who is loving to you but the Bible tells us that Jesus died for us when we were ungodly please notice verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Jesus died for me, not when I was righteous and not when I was a good man, but when I was numbered with the ungodly. And this is the demonstration of his love for us. How do I know that he loves me when the earth is iron beneath my feet and the sky is brass? above my head how do I know when my glands tell me that nothing is going good how do I know that he loves me his cross tells me he loves me the cross is God's greatest argument of the mercy and the love and the grace of God Harry Anderson was a great Adventist painter there's a painting that he did Jesus is hanging on the cross and there are some little children standing at the foot of the cross. And Jesus is hanging on the cross and one little boy is saying to another little boy, Jesus was so good and kind to us, why did he have to die? Why did he have to die? Was there some other way? There was no other way. If Jesus had not come down and died for our sins on the cross. Every one of us, my friend, would have gone to hell. But he came down because, not to prove that he loved us, he came down because he loved us. And because he loved us, he came down and he died for us on the cross. And the Bible said, he died for the ungodly. That means John Carter, and that means you sitting here today. Please read on. Romans chapter 5 and uh, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, that's the means, the blood, the blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want you to think of this great word, my friend, reconciliation. The Bible says that we were the enemies of God. The Bible says that we were in a state of rebellion against God. And the Bible says, because of God's animosity towards sin, my destiny without Christ was eternal damnation. But the Bible says, Christ came down, and by his passion on the cross, by his death and his sufferings, He reconciled the world to himself. After the Civil War that tore America in two over the issue of slavery, there were people in the north who said, we ought to punish the rebels, the war is over. But they were rebels, and they ought to be punished, and they ought to be deprived of everything. Abraham Lincoln said, because of the blood that has been shed, we ought to extend to the south the word of reconciliation. And we should no longer treat them as rebels and enemies, but brothers who have come home. And because of the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross, God no longer treats us as rebels, but he treats us as boys and girls who have come home. From the word... Reconciliation. We also get the word atonement. The English word atonement means at one meant. Before Jesus came, the world was estranged from God. We were enemies fighting God. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he made a sacrificial atonement and the world has been reconciled to God. God, my friend, is not our enemy. And the Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, God accepts us and God justifies us and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the story of the two Adams. Here we're going to have a bit of theology. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. I want you to notice this strong material therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all men because all sinned for before the law was given sin was in the world but sin is not taken into account when there is no law nevertheless death reigned from the time of adam to the time of moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. These are some of the most profound words in the Bible, some of the least understood, but some of the simplest words. If you can understand, and you can, if you can understand with me today, the meaning of these words, you'll understand your own heart. You'll understand why the world is the world. You'll understand why our children need to be brought into the fear and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord from the cradle. You'll understand why we do not naturally do what is right. And you'll understand the solution to the sin problem that lurks in in the human heart. I want you please to notice these words. Start at verse 12. Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Listen carefully. I was brought up in an environment where I was taught that babies are born in a state of sinlessness. I was taught this. Heard an old evangelist preach it, hadn't read this passage. He spoke about coming to the age of accountability. He said, by the time a child is eight or nine, then it can become righteous or sinful. He said, but until that time, The child is absolutely holy and innocent. Of course, that goes against human nature. It goes against everything mothers will tell you. And it goes against this text. The Bible says, By one man, sin entered the world. When Adam... Now, please come with me. I want to explain this. We're going to do a little theology. The Bible says that Adam stood for the human race. Adam was the representative. When Adam sinned, the human race sinned in him. But you say to me, that's not fair. I wasn't there. Too right you were. Where do you think you were? You come from another planet? Where were you? Did you know that every person was in the loins of Adam? He's our father. Were we there or weren't we? We weren't conscious. But you were there. I was there. I don't come from another planet. My father wasn't on Mars. My father was Adam. Adam means the man of the earth or a ruddy man. And he was the father of the human race. If I'm driving down the 101 freeway and I'm in a hurry and I've got my family in the back seat. And because I'm irresponsible, I make a bad choice, and I take the car off the road, who goes off with me? Well, the family goes off too. When Adam sinned, I was in the back seat. When Adam sinned, I sinned in Adam. The Bible says, sin entered the world through one man, for all sin." Death, it says, came into the world for all sin. How did death come into the world? Because the wages of sin, it's death. And when Adam sinned, he stood for the human race. And the Bible says, God made Adam in his own image. But it says later on, after Adam sinned, Adam had a son in his own image. Adam was made originally in the image of God, but when Adam sinned, my friend, his nature was changed and every little child of Adam has been born with a fallen human nature. And that's why I need Christ. I need Jesus from the time I'm conceived. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus was a great theologian, but like a lot of theologians, he didn't know a lot about God or the Bible. And so Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. A little baby is not born again. And if you say, as a man who used to come to this church said to me, Well I'm just going to let my boys go out and do what they like and when they're old enough they can choose whether they're going to follow God or not. That father has almost certainly condemned his children to a state of lostness. That's why we need to bring our little children to church, teach them the Bible stories, get them to know Christ. Because, because of one man, the sin came into the world. And David says, I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Please read on. If you understand this, you'll understand why we are what we are. For before the law was given, that means the law that was given on Mount Sinai, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account, at least legally, when there is no law. Now look at verse 14 and concentrate on this. Nevertheless, I want to teach this to you. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Now, please, let me have your attention. The Bible says, under the law, sin was in the world. Up to the time when God gave the commandments of Sinai, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account, it says, when there is no law. Legally, the people back there were not held guilty because the sin that they committed was not outlined in the law. Now you say that, I I can't believe that, but there's another reason they were held guilty. Sin is not taken into account when there is no law. And the Bible says, look at verse Uh, 13, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. And so before the law was given on Mount Sinai, sin was in the world, sure it was, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Now what does it mean? It means legally they were not condemned for that sin when the law had not been written on tables of stone. But they were still counted sinners. Why? Why? Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Now the Bible says, you're listening to me, from Adam to Moses, the Bible says, death reigned over people, and if death reigned over them, what were they accounted? Before death can reign over you, what must you be? must be a sinner. And so the Bible says death reigned over people from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin as Adam sinned. Now how did Adam sin? How did Adam sin? Willfully. By personal choice. But the Bible says from Adam to Moses death reigned over people who didn't sin as Adam sinned by a personal choice why did little babies die had they sinned personally come on had they sinned personally no of course not what about the babies that died probably in Sodom and Gomorrah and in the flood were they counted sinners Come on, look at the text. Were they counted sinners? Why? Because of their own personal sin? No. Why? Because they were born in Adam. Lost in Adam. My friend, listen to the news. The human race was lost in Adam. Every one of us. When Adam sinned, I sinned that is why i need christ from the time of my conception i need christ because i come into this world with a nature that is opposed to god and so the bible says here is the bad news through adam everybody is lost but the bible says here is the good news there is a second adam there's a second Adam." now please notice the story of the second Adam and this is just wonderful marvelous beautiful uh, fantastic news that does something to us verse 15 but the gift is not like the trespass for if the many died by the trespass of the one man Adam how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many Listen, in the fullness of time, at the right time, there comes another Adam. And he comes to represent the human race. The first Adam blew it. Everybody is lost in the first Adam. I am in the first Adam. I am born lost. That's why I can only be saved by coming to Christ. So I am lost in the first Adam we die we die we die we die because we are sinners people say i've stopped being a sinner good news then you won't die don't embarrass us by dying (laughs) but while we die it is the greatest argument that we are in a state of sin so everything is lost in the first Adam, but then The second Adam comes, and by his death on the cross, he represents us and he dies the death of the world. So that God's grace can be poured out over abundantly upon every person who will believe. Everything Adam lost, Jesus won back. I have news for you today. We don't have to fight the battle. Jesus has already won the battle. Glory be to God. Now, I want to talk about Jesus being my representative. You know the story, it's a great story in the Bible, David and Goliath. Where was David born? Where was he brought up? Come on, you should know. Bethlehem, he was a shepherd who looked after his father's sheep. The Bible says he was fair and beautiful and ruddy all over. He was a shepherd that came from Bethlehem. And he represents Christ, the man after God's own heart. And there's a great giant who comes. His name is Goliath. Nobody can meet him. Goliath cries out, says, Beat me. We'll be your servants. The whole lot will be your servants. Give us a man that we may fight together. And David goes out. After a while, he takes off the armor of the king. And he goes out. And Goliath says, Come to me, little boy. I will feed you to the fowls of the air. David says, You come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. And he picks up a stone out of the brook, and the stone flies through the air and strikes him in the head. A mortal blow, and he falls to the ground. And all Israel that day, they give a shout. You know why? All Israel had won. Hadn't done a thing. Bunch of cowards. Bunch of cowards. Bunch of wimps. Bunch of sooks. Sitting back there trembling. So was the king. But all Israel won because of David. When Jesus died, all Israel won. When Jesus died... By grace, I am in Jesus. And when he struck Goliath and knocked him to the ground, God said, put that down to John Carter's account. That's what he said. This is not meant to be funny. This is the truth. The battle has been won. I don't have to fight the battle anymore because Jesus fought the battle. And I want to say to the the people who say, you've got to work harder, you've got to try harder, you've got to do this, you've got to sweat, you've got to do all this. Jesus has done it. Yeah. Jesus has done it. You see? I am saved through Jesus. Again, verse 16, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. So through Adam's sin, I'm condemned. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It is abundant. The Bible says, if you believe, it is yours. Consequently, Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. But my friend, the analogy that Paul is Making here is not perfect because everybody is lost in Adam, but not all will be saved through Christ. Because you must receive the gift. There was a man in a penitentiary, John Ghent. Happened years ago. The governor gave him a pardon. The governor came and said, John Ghent, come and get your pardon. He didn't stir. He said, there must be another John Ghent here. John Ghent, he said... It's another John Ghent. And then the prisoner started to hit him. Go forward, John Ghent. Go, go and get your pardon. My friend, there is a pardon. You better come and get it because you're not going to be saved until you come and take the pardon out of the hand of the Savior. The Bible says as many as received him. We're all lost in Adam, all potentially saved in, Adam, in Jesus, but you've got to Come. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. That's why God gave the Ten Commandments. So sin could be seen so black. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. If I had written that text, I would have said, the law was added to increase the trespass. And where sin increased, more of the wrath of God. More wrath against sin. But the Bible says, more sin more grace, more grace. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might, might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace, grace, wonderful grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton Englishman, born in London, 1725, died 1807. He became a slave captain, catching slaves for the market. He went so low, he eventually became a slave of slaves. The slaves got him, and treated him worse than he treated them. slave of slaves. He came back to England... And heard a little man five foot four preach with a tongue of fire. John Wesley. And then he went and heard George Whitfield preach, and he became a minister. His dying words, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things: that I am a great sinner, and that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. On his tomb, the words John Newton, Clark, Once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. When we've been there, I tell you, 10,000 years, right shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. My word to you today is this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Accept his grace. I want you to bow your heads and pray with me. Just remember this, we're lost in Adam, saved in Christ. If you come to Christ and receive the gift of his grace, you are accounted righteous. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace, grace, wonderful grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. We thank you, our Father, for amazing grace. We thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ went out and took on Goliath and beat him, gave him a mortal blow to the head. We thank you that we don't have to work and sweat and worry and fight because the battle has been won and that Jesus beat the foe and we are to rest and accept and come and believe we thank you that in coming we have justification we have life and we have peace with god thank you father for great grace we look forward our father one day to seeing you in glory and singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, and singing the song, how sweet the song. How wonderful the story that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Bless these people here today, Father. How many will raise a hand today and say, I choose today to be in the second Adam? Lift up your hand. You don't have to choose to be in the first Adam because you are. You can't say today, I'm going to raise my hand and choose, I'm going to be in Adam. You are in Adam. But who chooses today to be in the second Adam? Lift up your hand and say, God, I choose the way of grace. Lift up your hands high. Let God know to those who receive the abundant gift of God's grace. Receive it today. Dear Father, bless the uplifted hands, the uplifted hearts. We worship you, we bless you, we praise you. We're going to stop fighting. We're gonna start trusting. Thank you for the peace that fills our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.